This week's episode is sponsored by ThyWillBeDoneBook.com. Welcome to the I Say All That to Say This podcast, an outreach of Impact Sports International. We seek to use sports as a vehicle to take the gospel to the hard to reach, the lost, and the forgotten, whether that is just 10 minutes down the road or on the other side of the world. Here's your host, John Andrews. Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Say All That to Say This podcast. I am excited today about our special guest. Not only is he a dear friend, but he's also someone who has an incredible story to tell. Dr. Gabriel O'Sullivan is a follower of Jesus, a husband, a father, a chiropractor, and an author. And he would say in that order. But before we get to Gabe, I want to share something with you I was reading uh, just recently. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke... We read about John baptizing Jesus. An incredible start, an announcement about his ministry beginning here on earth. This is one of the few times we see the Trinity in Scripture. God the Father booms from heaven. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends down like a dove as Jesus is being baptized. And then the very next thing we read about is that immediately the Spirit compels Jesus to go into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted. I think sometimes we think, if we know this story, we think that Jesus was only tempted on the last day of these 40, but it very specifically says that he was sent into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted. Jesus had just had a mountaintop experience. He was baptized. God kind of announced his presence and his ministry. No longer was John just the foreteller. He had baptized Jesus, and now Jesus is on the scene. Jesus has just had what we might call a mountaintop experience. He's baptized. His ministry is announced from heaven. It's one of the few times we see the Trinity in Scripture. And then the very next thing we see is that the Father sends him to face trials. He sends his one and only Son to face trials. We read about the devil tempting Jesus three times, once challenging him to turn the stone into bread because he was hungry, then offering the authority over all the kingdoms of the earth, and then saying, jump off the highest point of the temple. You see, it's not just something that bad happened to Jesus. It was his father's will that he be tempted. So if God took his son straight from that incredible scene in his baptism and sent him straight into the the wilderness for a a time of trial and fasting for 40 days and being tempted for those 40 days, why do we think we should be exempt from hard times? In my mind, as I heard this story growing up, I sort of always pictured Jesus alone for 39 days, fasting and praying, you know, like Jesus does. And then all of a sudden, the devil shows up on day 40 and says, hey, I have a couple of things that I want to tempt you with. But Luke 4.1 is very clear. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And this is his son in whom he's well pleased. So why do we think we should be exempt from that? And I think sometimes in church culture today, we teach that bad, whether it's intentional or unintentional, we teach that bad things aren't necessarily going to happen to followers of Christ. And that just flat out is contrary to Scripture. We see, see that in Jesus' life. We see that with the disciples. We see that with Paul. And the list goes on and on. My special guest today is no stranger to hardship. He's no stranger to heartbreak. Dr. Gabriel O'Sullivan has an incredible story to tell. In fact, he has told the story in a book entitled, Thy Will Be Done? 
We'll get to that content in just a few minutes. But first, a little backstory of why Gabe is on the I Say All That to Say This podcast. Gabe, how did you first get connected with Impact Sports? I got first got connected with Impact Sports in 2008. Uh, I was at my church uh, missions conference, honestly, just trying to make my way around the gym and not make eye contact with anybody because I had this sense that I was supposed to, to do something outside my comfort zone and, and maybe outside of the U.S. And uh, lo and behold, I was almost out of the gym and my buddy said, hey, Gabe, you need to go over and talk to this guy who's about to take a group of people overseas play play uh, basketball in, in East Asia. And I was like, man, all right, I'll, I'll go talk to him. And I went over there and he was, he was telling me, uh, this he being you, uh, were telling me about how you were going to take a group of guys over to East Asia uh, to a mega city and play ball and try to share Jesus with them, you know, develop relationships and just just uh, share. And I was like, well, I, you know, I didn't I didn't really play ball past high school. I probably don't fit your demographic. And you're like, oh no, you, if you if you played, you know, if you played in the backyard, you'll fit this demographic and uh, you'll be able to go. And so six weeks later, I was on a plane. I uh, headed to the other side of the world, and. Um, yeah, that's how I first got connected with Impact. And that was the first time you'd been overseas? Uh, on a trip on a of this project. nature. Yes, okay. sir. Yes, sir. So how many overseas trips have you been on since 2008? Well, I have been five to that same mega city, two to a different, so that's seven, two to another country, so that would be nine, and then two visiting some other friends, so I guess 11 times. Wow in that capacity since 2008 since 2008 well all right so 11 trips this might be kind of hard but i want i want you to give me two highlights uh from those 11 trips Uh, i think the first one was easy my first trip man i had an opportunity to uh, share the gospel with a fella and uh, man he just was ready you know like the lord had been working in his heart he had had some other people some friends local friends actually that had shared christ with him and and got to lead him to the Lord, and so that was that was amazing, you know. So that was my first first trip, and what a, what a great opportunity there. A uh, guy's name his his English name was William. Uh, I'll never forget that, and got to share the Lord with him uh, as we stood near a statue of a, a leader from this country that uh, had actually for, forbade Christianity, and so it was pretty ironic that I got to share Jesus with him there. And he made a profession to follow the Lord, and so hopefully he's still following him to this day. Um, so that's one highlight. Second highlight. So let, let me interrupt you here. That statue that you're talking about, that was one of the leaders that had uh, been one of the one of the um, guys that pushed the agenda forward to outlaw Christianity in this country, correct? That's right. I think that's a pretty cool picture of God's sense of humor, that you're sharing Jesus right in the shadow of this statue. Yeah. Go ahead. That was awesome. And uh you know, I think back a, a second highlight, I and mean, man, there's so many, but this other country we were in, um, still, you know, s- still just keep up, keeping up with some of the guys that we met. Um, and this has been, you know, five, six years ago. But the fact that we still communicate every now and then on, you know, on Facebook Messenger and, and are still friends, even though they don't share the same beliefs as we do. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, basketball kind of unites us, and just the friendship that we developed um, over that couple of weeks that we spent there, you know, working with them and, and teaching ball around that city. Um, I'd say that's just another highlight. 
of just the relationships that I've been able to maintain. You know, as long as I've been doing this, um, and and my first trip was in 1998, um, this is something I've always been amazed at. Um, there are places all over the world that outlaw Christianity, that do, do not allow uh, locals to be believers, um, that do not allow any kind of, uh, of sharing of the gospel openly. And so there are a lot of places that what we do would be considered illegal, and yet nowhere in the world is it illegal to walk out on a court and start bouncing a ball. And give me just a, a picture of what it's like for you to walk out, because some of the places you've been, city parks, uh, <clears throat> college campuses, that sort of thing. When you walk out onto that court um, surrounded by hundreds of guys and ladies that are that are from that area that maybe don't even speak your language or speak it very limitedly. That's not even a word, limitedly, but it's limited. Their their English vocabulary is limited, but you walk out and you can hardly even communicate with them. And yet, when the games are over, you're walking off hand in hand. You're high fiving each other. You're patting each other in various places and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) tell me about that experience yeah it's been it was so amazing just see how how sports unites and uh you know you 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 go into the game and it's kind of similar here you know you go into a game you've never played with some guys before maybe a little bit nervous you know because it's a new court or it's a new group of guys that you played with Mm -hmm. but as the game goes on it's like you develop that camaraderie you know, uh, from the guys that might be on your team. And then even with the fellows that you're not playing against, too, you know, you develop that camaraderie just because of the competition. Um, and and like you said, man, by the end of those games that day, like you've made a whole bunch of new friends that you might not even be able to really communicate with other than, you know, good shot or high five or, as we've learned before, you have to teach some countries how to high five because they have no <laughs> idea true. like they don't even have a clue how to high five and uh and that in itself is like a a nice little you know culture lesson right yeah. there and so that's always been so much fun you know just to where you, you go into the game and maybe there's scowls on the faces you know mm-hmm. because everybody's trying to fill each other out and you know hey do, you know it's a different culture different different ethnicity or whatever and then you end that game and everybody's smiling hmm. everybody's smiling and that's just a good feeling um, I'm not sure where I heard this the first time, but somebody said this, and I've just hung on to it for a long time, but we all come from different cultures. We all speak different languages, but we all speak ball. Mm-hmm. And that's a cool picture uh, of just showing up somewhere in a place where you can't communicate with people, but sports has a way of connecting. You know, and, I, and I'll, I'll throw this in here too. You know, I had a guy, he asked me a couple years ago, he was like, man, you need to, you need to cut out all this basketball business going overseas and and uh that's somebody here locally yeah somebody here locally who who's a good dude loves the lord runs a a, another kind of outreach you know international ministry thing he was like you need to use you need to use your profession you know and and do that overseas instead of all this sports you know stuff that you've been doing and i was like okay i i mean i hear you man but like you don't you don't get it either. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a fellow that what he does, he gets that. But if you if you haven't had that opportunity to play ball or be on a team or be on a court and 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 see what how sports unites people, 
like you just can't you just can't get it yeah. you know and so even i would just encourage folks and i do this still even with this with this ministry i'm like even if you don't play ball right you should go on a trip and just and you're going to become a part of a team even if you never pick up that ball hmm. you know because if you've never experienced what that's like and how sports unites people you need to go. You need to figure it out. You need, yeah. you need, you need to be involved. What you're explaining is, is something I've had to learn to explain in a short phrase, but I often say that uh, what we do is better experience than it is explained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's, uh, that's true. Um, one of the purposes, we always have a dual purpose with, with the work that we do. We want to we point people to Jesus, but we also want to bring believers along in their walk in their journey and propel them uh towards jesus as well so locally here you are a chiropractor uh really good one you've cracked me countless times right uh you're my own personal backcracker i I tell people (laughs) but let me ask you this how how has your experience with with impact sports uh and and by the way you've also been to prison with us several times too Mm -hmm. um and to your point about people and say, well, I can't play basketball. Well, you you are self-proclaimed not a softball player. And that's what you went and joined us in doing. And yet you still were just as effective being there and being with the guys and, and loving on them all day, whether you picked up a bat or not. Um, and so let me just ask you, some people may not have any idea how it would translate from a prison or a place in a, uh, on the other side of the planet in some random uh, park or uh, college campus just playing pickup basketball or teaching a local team basketball or beginners even basketball, How the, there may not be able to draw the connection between that and you serving your clients, your patients every day at your chiropractic office. Is there a connection? If so, what is that connection with your experience um, having seen ministry in all forms? How does that affect you day to day in your practice? You know, immediately I realized that you can go on a trip, M trip, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it, yeah. right? And you come back home, you better still be on mission, mm. serving the people that you're in front of. Don't matter if you're practicing chiropractic or, you know, working in a school or whatever the case, whatever, wherever God's got you planted, you need to be thinking about, okay, how, how do I glorify him and what I'm doing? And then how do I make him known, you know, and what I'm doing? How do I, how do I hopefully share with these people that I'm in front of his love and present opportunities for you know gospel conversations to happen and so that was the first thing i think that that i got you know and that and honestly man that that was kind of an immediate revelation that hey when you get back home you need to you know you need to be a little bit more intentional you yeah. know in your work it's not just about making money you know it's just it's about it's about using where god's got your place to to be a witness for him um and i think secondly you know it um made me even to this day i think sometimes i'm getting a little getting a little uh getting a little deep here but question like am i doing what is what i'm supposed to be doing 
Hmm. and what I'm called. Like, is this what I was called to be doing or is this just what I just started doing? Hmm. Um, I think it makes you have those thoughts, you know, because you like you go to these other parts of the country or country, country. Yeah. I mean, prison or world where there's just not a gospel presence. Right. And Hmm. they've and they live in these environments where people have told them there is no God or it's illegal for you to worship the God of the Bible or whatever the case may be. Um, and con, you know, conversely there, I could throw a rock and hit about three churches mm. from my office. Yeah. Right. Um, where just the gospel is a lot more easily accessible here. Right. You know, it makes you kind of think, well, okay, is, is what I'm doing the thing that needs to be done? So, mm. and I think that's a good tension to be having, you know, because it's like, it keeps you focused on eternity and not just on the temporal. Yeah. You know, and so those are the two things I think that it's it's made me realize, hey, I got to be more intentional in what I'm doing, but then also be open and have my hands up to be like, God, if you choose to move me hmm. away from what I'm doing right now because you've got some different plan or purpose for me as it relates to your gospel, then I got to be willing to move. Hmm. And that, you know, that took a while for me to get to that point because – you know, I think it even early on and being connected with this ministry, it was just like, all right, I go to work and I do that. But then and then I'll, 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 you know, I'll reserve this time or two a year to go and do this ministry right. thing. Right. And then God kind of started working on me like, what if I what if I what if your thing was to move away from being a chiropractor? and do something totally different, hmm. would you be willing to do that? You know, earlier in my career, I'd have been like, man, no, yeah. hey, no, bro. You know, and then it took a while for him to be like, or I think for me, rather, to be like, okay, God, whatever you want me to do. If you want me to keep doing this for the next 30 years, then I'm going to do it. If you want me to go, you know, whatever, sweep the street and Timbuktu, yeah. then okay, I'm, I'm going to do that too. Well, I, I did not ask you to – share all of that and the cool part is is that you've you've described one of our prayer requests since day one uh first is that that impact sports honors god and it draws people to him that have that don't know him whether they've rejected it their whole life you know they've they've grown up like you described they could throw a rock and hit a church mm-hmm. uh or someone who has grown up in a place where they have no idea who jesus is that's our that's that's our first prayer request. But our second prayer request is that the people that go with us begin to understand what their platform is. You know, when when you, when you and I were overseas, our platform was basketball, right? But that was just a one time uh, thing in this in this place, or maybe once a week, you know, one week, uh, mm-hmm. and then we're gone, and we don't come back till the next week, uh, next year, or something like that. What do we do in the meantime? And what you're describing is you is our prayer request being answered because you're beginning to you began to see that your platform was where God had put you day to day. Your platform was your office. Your platform was your uh, your coworkers. Your platform was your patients. Um, and so that's the second part of uh, of of our heart is for people to begin to grasp that where they are day to day is where God has put them day to day. You know, we say a lot of times we want to take athletes and coaches, which I'm not sure you qualify as either. <laughs> no. Just kidding. Participants. Uh, <laughs> we want to take participants. <laughs> we want to take, but we want to take athletes and coaches and participants um, 
and willing, able, warm bodies. We want to take people <laughs> right. over. We want to take athletes and coaches overseas, but we want to bring home missionaries. And that doesn't mean that they come home, they gathered their stuff, and they head right back to the country they came from. Right. That means you being a missionary in your office. But the next step to that is being willing to set that platform aside mm-hmm. and take the next step wherever that is. And uh, and so I think I didn't intend, didn't expect you to say that, but that's sort of the evolution of our the heart of this ministry is to see not only people come to know Jesus for the first time, but to see believers grow in their walk and, and what is the next step and what is the next step and what is three steps down the road look mm-hmm. like? And am I willing to take those steps? So thank you for that. Um, let me ask you this. Let me, let me kind of shift gears here a little bit. And I want to, I want to reference, um, as I mentioned before, you're an author and you wrote a book. Uh, when did you first publish this book? 2012. 2012. Okay. So it was after you had been with us. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and the, I, I think it's interesting. And if I, if I think really hard and maybe go through my bookcase, I could probably find a book, a book that ends with a question mark. Um, but your book is mm-hmm. Thou Will Be Done? Question mark. And I think right off the bat, before you even open the book, it, it's a challenge, right? You're, that, that's something that, that Jesus said in the garden, right? Uh, it's something that we as Christians want to say, but do we really mean it? So I want you to take a few minutes and just tell your story about your girls and uh, the heartache that you and Ryan went through and what how that led to the writing of your book and the story that we find there. Okay, awesome. Thank you. So uh, my wife and I got married 2001. Uh, we had been dating for seven years prior to that through high school and through college. And uh Man, everything was going great. You know, she was an accountant, CPA. I'm practicing. Um, we decide, all right, been married a couple of years. Now it's time to get, you know, have kids. And that was just not an easy process for us. There was some infertility challenges we were dealing with. And we uh, ended up going to a fertility doctor. And the first pill she took, we got pregnant with triplets. Wow. And it was a less than 1% chance. That's uh, a pretty good pill there. <laughs> yes, How big was right. it? Yeah. So, yeah, it was uh, surprising, that's for sure. Um, so she's a small frame woman. They told us it was going to be a difficult pregnancy for her. She was under care of a high-risk neonatologist because of that. And how uh, old was she uh, at this 26. Point? Okay. Yeah. And you were how old? 26. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so – um, high, yeah, she was with a high-risk OB, I guess was the better word for that, not neonatologist. And uh, everything was going along fine. She quit work at 20 weeks, so she'd go on bed rest. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> about 24 weeks, she get calls me at the office on a Friday, and it's like um, she's sobbing, just crying, crying her eyes out. And I'm like, what is going on? She's like, I'm at the OB. I, I, I have felt this pressure. You know, I, I didn't know what was going on. I just went to get checked out. They said, I'm in labor. I got to go immediately to the hospital. So uh, go to the hospital. They try to stop the preterm labor for about five days. She's in the hospital hooked up to IVs and kind of in an inverted position in the bed. So her feet are slightly above her head. So super uncomfortable, I'm sure, sure. for her. And um, ends up going into, uh, unfortunately, having to deliver um, about five days later. They couldn't stop it. March 1st, 2005. So she delivered uh, via C-section our three daughters, had three three little girls, Reese, Vivian, and Sophia. Mm. Um, Reese ended up living a day 
Um, she ended up having multiple heart attacks, basically, and they just, you know, just couldn't sustain her. Uh, Vivian ended up living three weeks, and before she passed, she ended up having major challenges, brain bleeds, infections, and whatnot, uh, and she passed three weeks later. And then uh, Sophia lived the longest, uh, looked like she was going to make it, and then she got an infection, shut her kidneys down, she passed away uh, three months all right, so so you have one day, three weeks, and three months. Yeah. Okay. So the number three is very yeah. special to me uh, mm-hmm. now, for sure. And so uh, during that time, you know, I, the idea for the the book kind of came to me really quickly as we were uh, kneeling beside Reese's uh, bed as they were shooting her heart with epinephrine shots and doing chest compressions on a one pound five ounce baby it was i mean it was you know it's crazy surreal right and um and i just remember started just praying you know that prayer you know not my will but yours be done not my mm-hmm. will but yours be done and but internally <laughs> i'm like am i really praying right. am i really meaning you know what i'm praying right now because what if god's will is to not let her survive this, wow. you know, and and that's what happened, yeah. you know. And so right then kind of the wheel started spinning of, all right, do I really do I really believe what I say I believe? Do I really trust the scripture? And can the scripture be trusted? You know, mm-hmm. can the scripture be trusted? Can I really believe that all things work together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose? And so um, had I started journaling immediately. I mean, yeah. even before the girls were born in the hospital that night, I just was like, okay, I got to, you know, my wife's over there kind of knocked out on medication. And I'm like, all right, I got to get some thoughts out, yeah. right? Some thoughts down and, and whatnot. And and that turned into a book seven mm-hmm. years later, yeah. uh, which is basically me wrestling with a lot of theological questions that I had come up, you know, during that time period, you know, during and then after. Uh, and, and my wife, too, you know, stuff that we talked about and stuff that we wrestled with. And so the book just tells the story of kind of what we went through from basically the day that I got that phone call at the office that she was in preterm labor until, you know, after uh, we had buried Sophia mm. and so like one chapter kind of details the story a little bit and then the next chapter kind of deals with the 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 theological questions you know that we were um wrestling with give me an example of those questions you're talking about so i I think again just right off like can god be trusted Hmm. you know we we think that um and, and i'll say the reason that question is 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 present is because i grew up in this church Tony Robbins Zig Ziglar society mm-hmm. where it was you get a you know you give your life to the Lord and everything's going to be great yeah. you know and then you project positivity like I was to the point man where I wouldn't this is dumb but it's the way it was like if it was a negative like passage of scripture where I didn't like the fact that somebody was getting chastised for their disobedience or you know it was like some bad situation happened and i'd be like man i'm not gonna read that that's negative i don't mm-hmm. need that negativity in my life i'm just gonna go to the positive you know parts mm-hmm. the feel-good parts yeah. of scripture right and so um so i had this kind of theology of of well if i do my part then god's gonna bless me however i want him to bless me right right and so that kind of had me messed up mentally 
of then when this world starts falling apart of you're burying your children, then it's like, okay, you know, can God really be trusted? Well, thankfully, due to his faithfulness and because his word was hidden enough in my heart from years previous, having those quiet times, even if I wasn't maybe reading all that I should have been, you know, um, that I had the opportunity to then go back and like God was like able to bring back up scripture to me and be like, okay, this is the scripture. Now let's get into that a little bit more deeply. And this is how you interpreted it, but this is how I meant it. Hmm. Right. And so he, he was able to do that just through, through prayer, through prayer, through scripture reading, through journaling and me then talking to other people believers you know talking to some of my pastors you know reading some other books and commentaries and that kind of thing of like really getting my mind right Mm. um and so that was that was i guess one question and that's what we we deal with in that and the answer is yes god can be trusted you know if you think he can't be trusted it's probably because we have a messed up view of him or we have a misunderstanding of his scripture. You know, he says that all things will work together for the good of those who love him and are according to according to his purpose. Now, the thing we had to come to grips with is that maybe we don't see the end game. Maybe we don't see the long the, the long game here, mm-hmm. right? And so we had to understand that uh, God's good is he's is good as always for us because we love him, and yeah. and I knew that, and and so that was a. Uh, that was a that was a question that we had to wrestle with and come to the terms that yeah God can be trusted. You just got to understand Him better. You got to know Him more. As you're talking, I, I, I this thought came to my mind. Walking with Jesus is not something that we're supposed to talk about. Yes, we're supposed to talk about our relationship with Jesus, but it it's not something that you just talk about. It's something that you actually do. Mm-hmm. Um. Walking with Jesus is not uh, a one one and done kind of thing. Uh, it's not something that only happens one day a week at church. Uh, it's a day in day out thing because life happens day in and day out, right? We're not, <clears throat> and I think it's one of the one of the mistakes we make as a as a Christian culture uh, is to either intentionally or unintentionally kind of teach that bad things don't happen to good people. And I'm just sitting here thinking as you're talking about this, and and you, at what point did you start following Jesus? Do you know um, how old you were? I was like nine or ten. Okay, about, 10, yeah. about Ryan. Do you know? About the same. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So for a decade plus, you guys have both been walking with Jesus, and all of a sudden, the unimaginable happens. And um, you reference the fact that you may not have been ready for some of it had it not been for your relationship before. Um, but at the same time, your relationship with Jesus before didn't disqualify you for tough times. And I think about Jesus, God's only son. The whole purpose that God sent Jesus to this earth was to die, to suffer and die. And if he's not willing to protect his own son from that, why do we think that we should be protected from that, Right. And so let me ask you this question. You've been walking with Jesus for 12 to 15 years-ish before this happened. What did this experience do to your relationship, yours and Ryan's relationship with each other, number one, and then number two, your relationship with Jesus? 
So, uh, first of all, we were in the hospital. She had delivered. It was like the next day. She's still kind of upstairs in her room recovering. You know, he had a C-section, and obviously her body had been through some trauma there for for about five days. And the uh, hospital sent around a massage therapist to these ladies' rooms that were recovering from their C-sections or their deliveries or whatever to do foot massages. Mm-hmm. Which we know all about those yes, from going sir. overseas here, don't we? So, um, so this late, this girl, her name's Holly. Still see you around town. Still friends with her. And Holly was the massage therapist there. Um, didn't ever see her. Had never met her until mm-hmm. this day. And she's giving my wife this foot and leg massage. You know, helping her swell and her edema go down and whatnot. And she, she says, um, I heard about what happened to y'all, and I'm just. You know, I'm so sorry. She's like, I just want you to know. And this was, I guess, Reese had already, must have passed already. And um, Ryan was not discharged from the hospital yet. And she said, my husband and I, my first husband and I, hmm. she said, we ended up having uh, twins that I believe is what she said that passed away. And she said, I just want you to know that you got to hold on to each other. She said, because we didn't. Mm. She's like, he did his thing. I did my thing. We didn't communicate. We just thought it'd be okay, and it'd blow over, and it didn't. And yeah. we didn't stay together. And she was like, if I can, she's like, I don't know y'all from anybody. She's like, but if I can just tell you, when you don't want to talk, talk. Mm. When when he don't want to talk to you, looking at Ryan, you make him talk. You know, when you talk to her, because I know you're a man, you don't want to talk right. to nobody. And, man, that was like an angel of God speaking to us mm. at the foot of that hospital bed because I would have shut down. I just know I'm just yeah. that kind of guy. Like I don't want to talk. I just, I would have just shut down and become stoic and it'd have been a mess, you yeah. know? And, uh, because of what she said, you know, we talked and we cried and we expressed emotion to one another, you know? And, uh, and our relationship grew by leaps and bounds. I did not leave her sight for a year and a half mm. <clears throat> after that. I mean, we didn't, not one day hmm. did we spend apart for a year and a half until I had to go to this deacon's retreat thing for one night. And and uh, and that was awful. You know, it was like the longest night of my life, you yeah. know, because the first time I'd been away from her. And um, so our relationships just got so much better, hmm. so much stronger. And it was good anyway. You know, we had spent, man, we had spent, four and a half years of our relationship not in the same city because she was at one college i was at another college right. and so our like we were you know we were online dating before they was online dating because all <laughs> we we was on the line the phone line yeah you know, on the on the landline this is back in the day uh communicating so we had a good communication because that was what our relationship was kind of based upon right. anyway but man it just got better you yeah. know and then secondly a relationship with the lord got got so much better you know, like there, I mean, at first, man, it was, it was a little rocky, you know, not on God's behalf, but on my behalf, because I was like trying to pray, but like, couldn't even pray kind yeah. of thing. You know, I would just like get on my knees to spend my time with the Lord in prayer. And it was just like, all right, I don't know what to say, mm-hmm. you know, cause I don't, I don't even know what to think right yeah. now. You know, that was kind of that. Um, so I would just, just sit there sometimes and just be like, all right, let's see what happens here. Hmm. And, um, but through that, you know, God's faithful and he's good and he's patient with us. You know, he doesn't expect us to be perfect. You know, he, um, he says, be perfect as I am perfect, but he understands that that is a time, there's a time to that. And he was good. He was patient with me, you know, and, and, um, 
my relationship with the Lord just grew and it got, and I started to understand him more. I started to know more of his character as it really was meant to be, not as, you know, popular culture and positive, uh, you know, positive mental attitude media that I had been digesting necessarily had been teaching me. Hmm. What about, um, speak to this, if you would, for a second. I I think, number one, we sometimes think, been taught that bad things aren't supposed to happen to good people. But even if they do, if we're supposed to be good followers of Jesus, good Christians, then we're just supposed to take it and not be upset about it and not hurt. Like somehow God's supposed to work something in our hearts that it just doesn't affect us. I think that's sometimes maybe what people think if you make it through a trial like you're describing, then God just maybe just somehow covered you and blinded you maybe to what was going on and you just didn't feel it. Mm. Describe how you felt as you were going through this. Yeah, that's great. Now I'll, I'll bring up one story to kind of to to demonstrate that. Um, first of all, I felt, I felt like I was walking in the ocean in soft sand up to my knees you know Mm. every day because you just were like man i i can barely trudge through life you know um that's how you felt you know like you were kind of in this vortex and like people couldn't like i would see people and i would just be like you you just don't know what is going on internally right now Mm -hmm. you know and that was for that was for i wasn't just for those three months Man, that was for a couple of, you know, that was for a year. Yeah. A year, maybe. Thank the Lord, we ended up getting pregnant a little bit later. Mm. Had Avery about a year and a half later. Mm. And she's amazing, 14 years old now. We also have two other children that we've adopted. God's been so good to us, and we're blessed. And But during that time, post-burying our last daughter, and then before we get pregnant, and, and <laughs> Avery's okay, yeah. you know, um, there was a lot of darkness, you know, depression, sure. you know. I mean, now that, looking back, that's what I know it was. I wouldn't have called it that at the time because right. I'm too tough to say I was depressed. Sure. But, man, I mean, this is, again, I've, I've blogged about this, so I'm not saying anything that revealing here. Yeah. Um, but I remember standing on a balcony in Myrtle Beach thinking I should jump hmm. because it'll make this pain less. And then, thankfully, God was like, well, what about your wife? What mm-hmm. about her pain? Oh, well, it would make it a lot worse. Well, then I'm not going to do it, right. you know, because I'm not going to hurt her kind of thing. Um, and those were thoughts, man. I would have, I mean, who would have thought a Christian would ever be thinking about jumping off a balcony, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's the thoughts that was in my mind. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was darkness. It was evil thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. where the devil tries to destroy us, right? And that's what it was. I see that now, you know, on the other side of it. But when you're in the middle of it, man, it's rough. And this, and remind you, man, I'm still, I'm still having quiet times. I'm still praying. I'm still in the Word. I'm going to church every Sunday. I'm communicating with my wife. There's no sin in my life that's, you know, that's like blatant that I'm trying right. to hide or whatever. Not trying to deal with. And and those thoughts to still be going through your mind. Mm. Um, so. It was dark, you know, but always had that hope yeah. that God had my back, that he was fighting for me and that he was going to get us through this, you know. And so the story that I haven't told you, as I'm about to tell, this was kind of pre some of that that we're talking about with some of those really dark thoughts. But Sophia was dying. I mean, she was on her last, 
couple of days and maybe her last week of life. I mean, she had got this terrible kidney infection. Her body was shutting down. She was swollen. She mm-hmm. weighed like twice what she should have weighed because of the, the um, fluid and whatnot. And uh, the the attending, like one of the main doctors there in the NICU, and then the chaplain called Ryan and I into a meeting. And so they pulled us into this little room next to Sophia's bed there and in the NICU. And they were like, um, we just want to check and, and make sure y'all understand she's going to die. And we don't understand how y'all can come in here so happy and like energetic and like filled with hope because she's going to die. You need to be sadder is basically what they were saying. Wow. And we were like, it man, I got I was mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so mad. And uh I, so it took me a minute to kind of get myself together. I was like, listen, we know she's gonna die unless God intervenes and does some kind of miracle, which he could. Yeah. But if not, she ain't gonna live here too much longer. But we know where she's going. Mm. And we know one day we're gonna be with her. Mm. And that's why we can come in here smiling and joking and having hope and praying over her and being positive and being upbeat because we know that God has the capacity to heal her here earthly, but if he doesn't, she's going to heaven to be with her sisters and be with Jesus mm-hmm. forever, and one day we're going to go to be there with them. Yeah. And so always having that hope is such a blessing that we that we believers have. You know, the scripture says we don't mourn as those who have no hope, mm. right? And, and that, man, if somebody's listening to this and they don't know that hope of Jesus, you got to get it because yeah. that gets you through a lot of stuff. Mm. We don't hope we don't mourn as those who yes without hope there we go wow hopeful mourning that's that's almost an oxymoron it (laughs) seems like yeah and yet that's what you're describing Mm -hmm. wow that's powerful gabe thank you for telling us that I, i i think you've become a dear friend and um our families are friends and uh even even Isaac and Avery, he, I mean Isaac and Tyson, who you mentioned, you've you've uh, you've adopted since then. Um, they're they're crazy, they're nuts, you know. And so, uh, the times that we've spent together overseas, and times we've spent together in your office, uh, in pain, uh, or um, just hanging out, our families together, it's been it's been a, a special time. But then when you take the the backstory that leads to that, and to know where you and Ryan were and where you've come from what god's done in and through you guys since um is just a it's just an incredible incredible story uh as i was thinking about us talking today and sort of what i wanted to say at the end i thought about chuck swindoll he's a pastor um he's you're an author of a book Mm-hmm. Uh, almost two almost got, two got one, on the got one, one coming okay what's it you know, you know the name yeah of it? it's gonna be called um from panic to peace cool and dealing with the same story or um something no this is gonna be taking um philippians 4 4 through 9 mm-hmm. rejoicing the lord always that passage and yeah. kind of going through each little section of that just yeah. giving the reader some tools to move from a current state of the world which might make one panic or be filled with anxiety and dread and fear to living with peace. Hmm. So I've got that with a 
publisher right now, a co-publisher, okay. which means I'm paying all the money. They're doing all the putting <laughs> the stuff together. Yeah. But it'll be hopefully by the end of the year, it'll okay. be in bookstores. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's awesome. So you are, uh, let's let's call it author of a book and a half right go. now. That's right. Uh, Chuck Swindoll is an author of over 70 books. Mm, you may know mm-hmm. it. Uh, he, he's got a radio program that's been around forever uh, called Insight for Living. Uh, he's a pastor. Um, but his Insight for Living, I had no idea until I saw this, but his Insight for Living program shows up on more than 2,000 stations around the world in 15 different languages. Um, I bought my wife a T-shirt in Charleston, South Carolina years ago when we were on vacation, and it had this on the back of the T-shirt because I felt like she needed to read this and she needed to believe this, <laughs> right? I had no idea at the time that it was Chuck Swindoll's uh, saying, but it was about attitude and having the right attitude, which, you know, being a good husband, I decided, hey, baby, this is what you need, and you need to wear this so you can reference back whenever it is that you get mad at me. Uh, <clears throat> but here, here's, here's uh, his quote. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, more important than education, more important than money, more than circumstances, more than failures, more than successes, more than what other people think, say, or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. Attitude will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. Now, Chuck Swindoll has dedicated his life to following Jesus and leading other people in that direction. And so his uh, statement here about attitude is obviously what you referenced a second ago, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And how do you, you said, I don't know how we would have made it if we didn't have a relationship with Jesus. So let me wrap up. I say all that to say this. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it won't be impossible to make it through tough times. But Jesus provides strength, peace, and direction to sustain you in those darkest times. If you don't know Jesus personally, Paul said, today is the day of salvation. Maybe something Gabe said hit home. Maybe you're just now figuring out that there is uneasiness in your life. That void you've been trying to fill is simply a Jesus-sized hole that only he can fill. If you'd like to surrender your life to Jesus today, nothing else is more important. Please understand there's nothing I am doing or you can do to make this happen. You need to ask Jesus yourself. And I'm going to pray something similar to what I prayed when I asked Jesus to come into my life years ago and forgive me of my sins. But I want you to pray it in your own words so that you know exactly what you're saying and so you know this is not a church or a religious thing. Jesus knows you. He created you. He knows the language of your heart. Pray to him from your heart something like this. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you created me to have a relationship with you. And I know there's nothing I can do in my own power that can make that happen. So Jesus, I ask you right now to come into my life, 
Forgive me of my sin that separates me from you. And the best way that I know how from this point forward, I'm going to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer from your heart and you really meant it, Bible says you are now a new creation, a spiritual baby. We'd love the chance to help you get started in that relationship with Jesus. This is a journey you have just now begun, and we want to help you along with that journey. So if you would, please reach out to us at impactsportsonline.org so we can do just that. Thank you, Gabe, for being a part of this episode and for sharing your heart and that incredible journey and the difficulties uh, and the trials that you and Ryan faced, but also how God brought you through uh, on the other side. If you want to know more about Gabe and Ryan's story, you can go to thywillbedonebook.com. Again, that's thywillbedonebook.com. Uh, and be on the lookout for Gabe's second book coming out towards the end of this year. We will be releasing these podcasts the first and third Tuesdays of every month. So please share this with anyone you think may be interested. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcast and follow us on social media. We'll see you next time on I Say All That to Say This.